of Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 9 says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. That's from the King James Bible. Let me read that from the New Living Translation. It says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything that you produce. Let me ask you this. Let's say that you have a job and you make $1 a week. How much of that $1 belongs to God? That's right. All of it. Really, none of it belongs to us. Did we not use the things that he gave us to make that money? The Bible says, in him we live and move and have our being. So the air that we breathe belongs to God. So if that's true, then we can't really do anything without him. We just roll over and die. So if we're using his resources to make that money, then it makes sense that it belongs to God. And furthermore, if it's God's money, then he's going to help you take care of it. If you're responsible and nothing's going to happen to it. I want my money to belong to God. I don't, I don't want it to belong to me because when the stock market crashed in 1929, they were leaping out of buildings and killing themselves. And they, the United States and the world entered a period of, what, about 10 years of a Great Depression. And, and so it, it, it feels like that there's no surety for our finances now. And, the, and now the economy is getting better, and the economy will always go up and down. We've been going through a bear economy, and everything seems to be tied to the housing market. So everything seems to be recovering a little bit fairly well. But when the economy tanks, it's, it's good to know that if you've dedicated your finances to God, then it will be well with you. How many have ever heard uh, Elder Johnny James ever preach? Brother Johnny James? Okay, well, he, he, he can preach circles on you I've ever heard before. So I'm going to quote to you something from him. He said, last night you slept in God's bed, and you woke up this morning in God's pajamas. Between God's sheets and God's bedroom. You put your feet into God's slippers and walked down God's stairs into God's kitchen and drank God's coffee, ate God's toast, got cleaned up in God's shower, put on God's clothes, sprayed on God's perfume, started up God's car and backed out of God's garage, drove down God's street and pulled up in front of, a, in front of God's big house. And now you're breathing in God's air conditioning and chewing God's gum and shirts. Or sucking on a lifesaver, whatever the case is. Uh, Gordon, Mac Gordon McDonald, who was a prolific Christian author and speaker, said this. One of the greatest missing teachings in the American church today is the reminder that nothing we have belongs to us. Everything belongs to God. In 1899, a little over 100 years ago and before the turn of last century, when the total number of books published was only a fraction of what is available today. A bibliography on tithing and giving listed more than 500 books on the subject. Over 500 books. And although thousands of Christian books are published annually today, with or very few deal with actual money-related subjects. And even fewer take a look at the biblical view of how believers should handle their finances. In other words, the more Americans 
that have gained wealth and have been blessed over the last 100 years, the less that Christianity has addressed the subject of giving. And this explains why there has been a consistent decline in giving over the last 30 years. In fact, dollar for dollar, listen to this, dollar for dollar, the average American gave more to charity during the Great Depression than what is given today. Think about that for just a moment. That the average American gave more to charity in the years of the Great Depression than what they do today. 21% of uh, of consistent American church members do not give anything to their church, not a single red cent. They don't give anything at all. They just come and, and, they, and they sit and they enjoy the blessings of God. 71% of Christians give less than 2% of their income. Less than 2%. So does the Bible have really anything to say about our finances? The answer is, of course, an astounding yes. The Bible clearly teaches us guidelines about money that God gives us and blesses us with. How many know what the word tithe means? Anybody would take a gander at it? Huh? Um, Ten. That's right. Brother Kirby, he's smart. That's exactly what it means. It means a tent. So, so in other words, if you make $10 a week, how much would your tithe be? Simple math. You don't have to be a mathematician or very intelligent to figure that out. It would just be 10%. So if you're not giving 10%, then it's not a tithe by definition of the word. So you might say, well, I'm going to take X number of dollars off of my paycheck every week, and I'm going to give that to God. Well, that's good, but that's not your tithe unless it's at least 10%. By definition, okay? So, uh, so the true tithe is not only a tenth, but it is the first tenth. Let me give you a little play here, a little, a little illustration. Let's say that you, again, let's, let's say that you make $100 a week. Hopefully you make more than $100 a week, but... But if you make $100 a week and, and you say, this week, this payday, I'm going to do everything I want with my money. And if I have anything left over, I am going to pay my bills. Do you think that you would have electricity on very long <laughs> or that you would be driving a car very long or even living in your house? It does not take them very long to repo your car and your house. Um, they will gladly do that for you. And so, so it's, it's, the same concept applies to us. We, we, we pay what we prioritize. Does that make sense? So it makes sense that if people that say, if I have anything left over, well, then I'll pay my tithes. What you're saying is that tithing is not a priority. And if it is, it's not your highest priority. Tithing is directly connected to the condition of your heart. We're going to prove that tonight. Um, but the first tithe is the tenth that you spend. So some people erroneously believe that their first responsibility is to take care of their personal needs and then give God a slice of the leftovers. But God does not like leftovers. Okay? So there's only one slight little problem with that, 
as I said, God does not like leftovers, and God doesn't, does not, not only does he not like leftovers, but he does not accept what is last, or our worst, or what's left after we are all done. This was one of the major problems when you read the book of Malachi, and what they were doing is they were taking the lambs and the sacrifices that were the sickest, what was left over, and they were offering them to God, and God said, no, you wouldn't offer that to your governor, but you're going to offer that to me, what's left over, the sickly, because here's the thing, the whole point in ties is to remind us who our master is. That your master is not money. Your master is the Lord. That you are supposed to master your money, not the other way around. Some people got it all topsy-turvy. The wise man said, honor the Lord with, the, with, you, with your first wealth and with the first fruits, of all, first fruits of all your increase. God wants the best. He wants the first. And he wants the choices. Clearly, the Bible says, once again, honor the Lord. Did you know that paying your tithes honors God? It gives honor to the Lord. It's a form of worship. So whenever you, you know, whenever we think of worship, especially Pentecostals, we are, we, we think of demonstrative worship. We think of jumping and running and shouting like what we just did in this service today. We saw jumping and people were worshiping and, and crying out loud, dancing, speaking in tongues, etc. But that's not the only form of worship that the Bible gives forth. Other forms of worship are how we live our lives. It's another form of worship. Um, and what we do with our money is also a form of worship. And so if, it, if we are honoring God by giving him the first fruits, it makes sense that we are dishonoring God when we do not give him our first fruits. And so paying your tithes honors God. Putting Jesus first brings a strange contentedness. For example, look at what Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 17. says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Verse 18, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. Verse 19 says, by doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. You understand that he connects how we give with whether or not we will inherit eternal life or true life. That's a pretty powerful statement right there that Paul said. And, and it also proves that, that how we spend our money, as I've said already, really shows our priorities. So let me address a few things before we go any further. Some people in today's day and age say that tithing does not apply to us today because tithing was under the law. Well, that's partially true. Tithing was under the law. Really, it was expanded under the law. And, and, it, and, and so, be, so the thinking is that because we are under grace, then we cannot pay our tithes. So besides the biblical argument that I'm getting ready to give, think about that logically. Do you really want our pastor working a 40 to 50 hour a week job and coming here on a Wednesday night after he's worked all day and having church problems and issues to deal with and not being free to really pastor the church? 
like God. We don't want to, I don't want a pastor like that. I know home missionaries have to do that, and many pastors have to do that. They're bivocational, and God gives them strength, but, but the ones who are bivocational are sometimes limited in how much they can do with the church and how much time they can spend with the church. So, and besides that, let me just give this little plug. If you really want to go back to how it was done under the law, the priests did not pay their tithes. Because the tithes, who did the tithes go to? Went to the priest. So who are the priests going to pay their tithes to? Themselves? <laughs> so most pastors pay their tithes, but they do because of setting forth an example. Okay, but so, so listen to this. First of all, tithing was initiated before the law began. Abraham practiced tithing. This was about 500 years before the law came into existence before it came into existence under Moses. He paid it to Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God. Secondly, Jacob also practiced tithing. Abraham did it once, but Jacob did it consistently. He said, I will give a tithe of all that I possess. 400 years before the law and felt so strongly about his financial partnership with God that he made a covenant with God about the giving of his tithes. Thirdly, what the law did not create with its beginning, it did not end with its fulfillment. So if the law didn't start it, then it makes sense that the law could not end it. So God's financial plan transcends all dispensations, law, grace, pre-law, post-law, etc. And fifthly, Jesus himself endorsed giving of tithes. In Matthew 23 and verse 23, He says, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees hypocrites for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb and gardens, but you ignore the most important aspects of the law, justice and mercy and faith. You should give tithes, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. So Jesus, whenever you read this passage in context, he's really dealing with issues of the heart and honesty and integrity before God. And so that's why he stops and says, let's talk about tithes a little bit. Uh, and, and, and sixthly, sixth, the apostles in their writing in the New Testament never commanded or implied that the plan of tithing was over. They never said, it's over, you don't have to do this anymore. In fact, their silence on the subject suggests that the practice of tithing was probably clearly understood and was still commonly practiced and expected from all New Testament believers. Seventhly, if tithing is not God's financial plan under the New Testament grace, then what is God's financial plan? What is this supposed to be? If we want to really be apostolic, what, did they, what is the first thing they did with their money? He sold it all, and they laid it at the apostles' feet. How many want to sell your house and cash in your 401k plan and turn it into the offering in the church? Now we're not to sell your house, sell your car, sell everything. How would we live? I mean, it doesn't make a lot of sense. So what is God's financial plan? How are we going to have this building? How, how are we going to pay the bills? How are we going to pay for revival? Revival is cost money. This is, this is an aspect that you don't think of until you really look at the finances, it is expensive to have evangelists. I mean, people talk about, well, gone are the days when they used to have revival every night of the week for two weeks. Good heavens, we'd go bankrupt if we did that, I think. 
or we'd have to take up an offering every night. He'd be up there saying, okay, how many will give $100? We need 10 people to give $100. We'd spend 30, you know, 30 minutes of services doing that. It's expensive when you talk about meals. And, and, and besides that, it's tiring on the pastor and his wife. You don't know how much hosting takes out of you until you've done it before. So, so anyways, so, so there has to be a plan. And I believe the Bible has given us a plan. In eighth, grace took every characteristic of the law and carried it to a new dimension. For example, Jesus said, if someone smites you on the one cheek, turn to him the other also. But under the law, it was an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. He says, if someone asked to walk a mile and carry their burden, was what the law required, but you should go two miles. You've heard it say, Jesus said, love your neighbor and love your enemies. Pray for them to despitefully use you. Many times in the Psalms, David is praying for the justice of God. We are not allowed to pray for justice against our enemies. We are supposed to pray for love and for blessing. Bless those that despitefully use you. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. That was under the law. But I say unto you, if you look after a woman to lust, then you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. So grace took every dimension of the law and expanded upon it and brought it to a brand new level. So it's not biblically correct to say, well, if, well, I, I can't tithe right now, so I'm just going to just give a few offerings to keep me and God on speaking terms. I'm just giving the offering a little bit here, a little there to appease my conscience. No, no, no. It sounds good and may even feel good for a while, but it does not work that way. Remember, this is not your plan, okay? It is God's plan. So giving begins with tithing. In fact, did you know that without tithing, all of the rest of our money has a curse on it? Matthew, or sorry, Malachi 3 and, and verses 8 through 11 says, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. And verse 9 says, because of that, you are cursed with a curse. For you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring you all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house. And prove me now herewith, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. That there, uh, and I rebuke the devourer, and he shall not destroy the first fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, says the Lord of hosts. So I can tell you this, that when people that know better do not pay their tithes, they have a curse on their finances. And I can tell you this, no matter how much you make, no matter how much you make, if God does not bless it, you will, it is always cursed. If God curses it, if, if you make a million dollars a month, if God curses it, it's going to get ate up like termites. It's going to, there's one place where, where the Bible says money has wings and flies away on its own. Solomon said that in the book of Proverbs. That's what's going to happen to your money. Something is going to go wrong. I know this because my own father makes a ridiculous amount of money. But he has always been broke his whole life because he's, again, this is my dad, so I can say this about him. He has never been, was never been in church, but he's never been giving with his money in general. 
And he certainly hasn't honored God at all. But he makes, I don't even know how much he makes. I know it's at least six figures. But, but it's like things happen to just eat up his money. And so that's what happens. But no matter how little you make, I look back on Tanya and I, and, and, some, and <laughs> I can just tell you, we never, ever have done without anything. And, and I can also tell you this. In the 19 years that Tanya and I have been married, we have never missed a tithe payment. Not once. And along with that, I'm not bragging, I'm just trying to teach you something here, okay? Along with that, we have never missed a car payment. 19 years. We have never missed a house payment. We have never been late on a bill. 19 years. And that, that, but, but that's not because we've always made all this money, because we haven't been. God has been very good and has blessed, as they say, blessed my socks off. I am, I'm, I'm wearing socks tonight, but, because I don't think the pastor would let me teach up here without socks on. I don't know. But, um, but God, God has been really good to me. The job that I have, they actually want you to have at least a bachelor's degree in computer science. I've got a, a bachelor's from Gateway, an unaccredited bachelor's degree from Gateway, by the way. 20 years ago when Gateway, the, the degree they gave you was about as good as the paper that they signed it on. And it's in theology. I mean, I don't even put that on my resume. I'm, I'm really being honest. I don't, that, I don't even include that on my resume. But, you know, I, I, I could tell you the story of how I got this job, but it's, it's, it, all I can tell you is it is a total God thing. God, if you are, will be consistently faithful, not, okay, I paid my tithes this week, now let's see what God does. No, you got to do it a while. You got to be faithful at it a while. And over, over, over the long distance, you will quickly realize, wow, God is really blessing me. You will get promotions that you do not deserve. And so the hand of God will be upon you. So somebody might say, well, my finances don't have anything to do with heaven or hell. After all, nobody can buy their way into heaven. Yeah, that's true, but you can't cheapskate your way in there either. Take your chances if you want to, but eternity is way too long and it doesn't sound too good for those who are thieves and rob God. Leviticus 27 and verse 30 says, And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. Did you know that your tithe is holy unto the Lord? So did Israel just tithe? Did they just tithe the land? No, they tithed their crops, they tithed their fruit, they tithed everything. The tithe was called holy unto the holy just means it's set apart by God. It's been touched. It belongs to him. Now, as we said, it all belongs to him. But this we give back to God to remind us that it all belongs to him. It's holy because money is spiritual. Look at Luke chapter 16 and verse 10 and 11. Jesus said, he that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. He's talking about finances here. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. In verse 11, if therefore you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you the true riches? Wow. You understand what Jesus is saying. First of all, 
is that money is not the true riches. That's, that's the subtle teaching that he's saying. Mammon literally means money in the Greek. Okay? So he calls it unrighteous mammon because it's unrighteous versus holy. It, so it's not given to God, so it becomes unrighteous. It becomes unholy. It becomes the opposite of what it's intended to be. Now, I mean, it's kind of sounds crazy thinking my money's holy, but, but we mean that it's blessed versus cursed. So he says the unrighteous man and the unrighteous money, because you're not managing it right, you're not devoting it to God. It's like when our children were born, if you were in church at that time, what did you do? You devoted your children's lives to God. And it's not a guarantee, but, but it's, a, it's, a, it's a step in the right direction. And so he calls it the unrighteous mammon. And then he says this, if you're not faithful in that, then who will commit to the two riches? So money is not the two riches. And secondly, God requires us to be faithful in this part before entrusting to us what the two riches really are, which are the two riches of his kingdom. Love and joy and peace and eternal life and the gifts and operations of the Spirit. Let me tell you, you need to be submitted if you are going to operate in the gifts. Because if you are not, so this ties back into money, I'll get that in just a second. If you are not submitted when you're operating under the gifts, then, then, then you, you, are, you are opening yourself up to operate under satanic power. Ambition is always satanic in the kingdom of God. Now, in the worldly kingdom, it's fine. Ambition is, is a good thing. They, they honor that, right? If, if you want to do good, you've got to be ambitious. But in the kingdom of God, it's not ambitious. It's meekness. It's, it's taking the lower seat. Not, it's it's not, not assuming things. And so, Satan's kingdom operates under pride. And when you're operating under pride, you're operating under satanic power. You open yourself up to that. And so the kingdom of God operates under submission and meekness and humility. And when you are operating under those things, then you open yourself up to be used by God in a deeper way because you are hidden from the enemy. Meekness hides you from the enemy. It's like, you ever seen those soldiers and they're crawling across the battlefield, they don't stand out like this and just walk across, right? Might as well paint a bullseye on their chest. They get down and they crawl. That's what humility and meekness does. The enemy cannot see you when you're meek. And so you're less likely to be a target with him. So, so whenever you pay your tithes and you devote that to God, because let's be honest, this probably can be one of the most difficult things that that we can ever do. This is like the last thing usually that people get when they're discipled. And it's the first thing that goes when they start to backslide is they'll stop paying their tithes. And whenever, as people are discipled, and I know because I've pastored, so I know this, it's like the very last thing that they get. They get everything else right except for this. And sometimes it just takes time and you just have to be patient with people. But eventually they learn how to do it and they learn that they are robbing not only God, but they're robbing themselves of a tremendous blessing by not paying their tithes. 
Psalms 50 and verse 10. Remember, God owns everything. He says, for every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. Does God need your money? No. This is the same God that pulled money out of a fish's mouth to pay tithes or to pay taxes rather. I mean, Jesus did not need anybody's money. He never took up an offering. God does not need your money. So why is it required? Because it reminds us of who owns us. It's for us. We are the reason we need to pay our tithes. Psalm 24 and 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything that is in it. The world and all of its people belong to him. 1 Corinthians uh, 6.20, for you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. So if these principles become ingrained in our belief system, when we realize that we are managing what only God has entrusted to our care, then giving will be a natural manifestation of us because our heart is submitted. So stop asking the question, how can I afford to give? And start asking God, how much of your assets that you have entrusted to me do you want to direct toward this particular ministry? Start praying that. And with this understanding of stewardship, tithing will not be an issue at all because it is a clear mandate of Scripture that if we do not pay our tithes, then we are robbing God. So there are, there are some people today that have probably maybe have went to the pastor or maybe have went to a financial counselor and they have said, I can't pay all my bills. I need help managing it. The first question you should ask yourself is, am I paying my tithes consistently? This really has very little to do with, um, with necessarily, I mean, it does have a lot to do with how, you're, how you manage what you give. Because even if you pay your tithes, if you squander the rest of it, God's not going to bless that either. But have you been paying your tithes? And so some people say, well, I can't afford to pay my tithes. Listen to me now. You are making a mistake. Because you are telling your great provider that the first 10% that he demanded cannot be given to him because you have other plans for it. And so instead of it becoming holy, now it becomes not blessed anymore. So, you know, what really amazes me is the same people that are saying, I can't afford to pay my tithes. They're paying cable TV and they're paying internet and they have a gym membership and they've got XYZ and all these things that they're paying. If you sit down and you really look at what you're spending your money on, you know, your checkbook will tell you or your credit card statement will tell you what you love the most because it's what you're spending your money on. So my suggestion is this, is to remove the temptation to plan your budget as if that first 10% does not even exist. So if you make $100 a week, you really only make $90 a week because that first 10% belongs to God. Throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, this is what we call the first fruits. In other words, as we've already said, God does not want our leftovers. Remember this, when you do not pay your tithes, you are robbing your creator and your provider. He cannot and will not bless you because you are tying up his hands. God wants to bless all of us today. He wants to put a blessing on us financially. But when you give the tithe, that is another form of worship. It's like worship because you're willingly giving God what is rightfully his with a right spirit. For God loves a cheerful giver. 
So uh, the words of Jesus Christ don't really leave any room to hide when he said this in Luke 12 and 34. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. See, this is why it's so important. This is why money is a discipleship issue because money is a heart issue. People may not think that it is, but people that will often you know, argue and say, well, I don't have to pay my tithes. And, you know, it's, there always is an argument. But I will tell you this, I've learned, a man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. You can talk about your argument all you want, but I've got, I know by experience that God will bless it. Because there are very few things in Scripture God said, you know what, just give me a try. Give it a try. Try it. Prove me. See if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing so that there won't even be room enough to receive it. First Corinthians, uh, First Timothy 6 and 10, this is from the New Living Translation. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. It's not, it does not say that money is the root of evil, contrary to what, how people misquote this verse. But the love of money is the root of all evil. If you love it, that is the root of all evil in your life. Everything evil in the world comes because people love money, and that's called good old greed. And that will send you to hell. And so that's another reason why it's important for us to be reminded of who our master is because Jesus is our master and he's got to be more than the master in, in, in words. He's got to be our master in deed, in action. So the love of money is the real evil. The issue of money is so important that Jesus addressed it head on in Luke 16 and 13. Again, the New Living Translation. No one can serve two masters for you will hate one and love the other or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The, again, the King James says God and mammon. But again, the word mammon there just means money. You cannot serve God and, and, and money. If you love it, you cannot serve God. It's that simple. You have to yield this part of yourself to God. And you've got to show the Lord that he is truly your Lord in this area. No Christian here today would probably ever come right out and say, not only do I trust my money more than God, but I also serve my money more than God. That's probably not going to happen. However, does the way we handle our money line up with the principles of God's holy word? Because if not, then we are really telling God, I love my money more than I love you. Our paycheck register has to reflect what we speak with our words that God is truly our master. So God is not against people having money and things, but he certainly hates it when money and things have his people. Here's another reason why you need to pay your tithes to assure God and yourself and to be reminded that your money does not have you, that you have it. Our money is not to master us. It's we are to master our money. Amen. And so uh, hearing that you should give 10% of your income to God often will, will, will induce people into involuntary uh, seizures. Because they say, what? People exclaim, dumbfounded, 10% of my income. You understand, this is craziness to the world. This is absolute insanity. That you are given 10% of your hard-earned income and you have very little control over what happens to it once it gets there. I mean, this just sounds ridiculous. If you were to tell your boss or your coworker, I give 
10% of all my income to the church that I attend. And if he's not disciple and he's not a Christian and has never been taught these principles, he's going to look at you like you are a nutcase. Because it sounds ridiculous. How does 90% go farther than 100%? Because little is much when God is in it. And you remember, it was, it was amateurs that built the ark, but professionals that built the Titanic. One was dedicated to God, and another was dedicated to their own pride. The unsinkable ship, they said. Think you're the unsinkable ship? We'll just see about that. You think you're unsinkable? You think that you can handle all your money and you can, can do everything? You know what? God loves you enough to show you the error of your ways. And there will be a curse on your finances. So to give 10%, some people say it would mean that they would totally have to arrange their life. But that's the point. Now you get to totally arrange your life around God and putting God first in your life. Let me tell you this. Discipleship does not always feel good. It's not always angel visitations and goosebumps. That's why it's called discipleship. Now, some things are. Sunday night was angel visitations and goosebumps. <laughs> that was awesome. But it's not always like that. Every aspect of our life with God is not always like, ooh, this feels so good, okay? When Abraham offered Isaac on Mount Moriah, did it feel good walking up? Three days, it took him three days to make that journey. That was the longest three days. And nobody talks about poor little Isaac. About halfway up that mountain, about a day and a half up to it, he said, wait a second now. There's wood, but where's the sacrifice at? And he starts getting a little nervous about halfway up. And, you know, Abraham was an old man by now. Isaac was probably a middle to late teenager. Isaac had to willingly lay himself down. So let me tell you, this something in your life is your Isaac. Something in your life God is going to require of you to give before you go higher in him. And people want to, listen to me now, people want to be used by God, but they will not yield themselves in this area. And I'm telling you, it's unsubmission to God. And if you will yield yourself to this, God cares more about your spiritual development than he does your happiness. He cares more about you developing. We rejoice in the promise, but God rejoices in the process. That's what God focuses on the most. And so it's the process that makes us when the hand of God comes on our life. And thank God he doesn't like show us everything that we need to improve on all at once. Because we would all give up. When people come into the church, God will start with the big things. There are, there are some things that are immediately repented over. And just like that, they're delivered from. But some people need to be, dis everybody needs to be discipled. But there are some really big areas in people's life. And there are some medium sort of areas. And there are some, some small areas. God will start usually with one or two things that they can improve on. And as they make improve upon that, God allows them to grow. And that's how discipleship occurs. But when you set limits on yourself with how far you will allow yourself to be discipled, you limit yourself as to how much much God can use you and how much of a blessing you will be in the kingdom of God. And so um, it's not my money. It belongs to God. 
It all belongs to God. If you're not paying your tithes, you are not, you, you are going to be cursed. Your money will be cursed by God, and God cannot bless you. You're in essence tying up his hands. So this has nothing to do with the church just wants my money. That's an excuse. You could say that about the bar. The bar just wants your money. The restaurant just wants your money. And for those that say this, let me ask you this. What is the reason for the existence of that restaurant? That restaurant, think of the last restaurant that you went to. What is the reason that restaurant exists? Is to make money. Even the hospital that, that, I, that, I, that, I, that I am a part of, I work for healthcare, um, for, for HCA Healthcare Hospital Corporation of America, and their, their vision is, above all us, we are committed to the care and improvement of human life. But they are a for-profit organization. <laughs> As they say, money makes the world go round. <laughs> but what is the reason for the existence of this church? Is anybody getting rich here? <laughs> I don't think so. There's been a lot of sacrifices that's been going on over the last seven years. There's been a lot of microwave dinner and Salisbury steaks that have probably been ate. <laughs> and God has been good and God has blessed this church. But, but it's because we have faithful people in it. Amen. And so, so the reason for the existence of, for this church is not money. It's to reach the lost. So how could it be that the church just wants all your money? If that's not the reason that we exist. Because every dime that we make is used for that purpose. And so if we can understand prayer and fasting and don't murder and don't commit adultery, then we should have no problems believing that this principle is just as clear. It is not my money. I believe God has made it very clear in his word that we are managers of what is his and what he blesses us with. And God chose, uh, and, and God chose to line up a principle that says, hey, I'm going to always provide for you guys if you keep me first. But here's the thing. I want you to bring me your first 10% and then I will bless the other 9%. That's called managing your money. And once you get that right, then God has another principle in store for us. And it's in Matthew 25 from the New Living Translation where Jesus said, The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in, this, in handling this small amount. So now I'll give you more, many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Money is a heart issue. I know money is a heart issue because so many people will, will, will get really defensive when you start talking about tithing. Um, and so if you don't believe these principles are true, here's your assignment. Purchase everything you can afford from now until the end of your days. Do not deny yourself anything you desire. Travel, accumulate, and store everything you've ever wanted. Make more money and sacrifice your family, as many have done, if you must. Arrive at the end of your life and deny yourself absolutely nothing and then ask this question as you're laying there on your deathbed, am I fulfilled and happy? Because there is one man that has already tried that, and his name was Solomon. You can read about his wealth. The queen of Sheba came from afar and said, my word, the half has not been told. I didn't even understand the half of it. She was totally taken, uh, taken back at 
how rich that he truly was. And, and, and he did not deny himself anything. He said everything under the sun, but at the end of his days, he said this, it's all vanity. Vanity of vanities. That means, the word vanity just means emptiness. So when he said vanity of vanities, say it to preacher, what he was saying was there's a lot of vain, empty things out there in the world, but this, this greed, this more and more and more, getting more and more and more and more and more, that's the vanity of all vanities. Because that goes against the principles in the kingdom of God. Because it's not about gain, 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 get, get, get. It's about give, give, give. It's about everything that we have belongs to God. So think back to the last possession that you really wanted and that you finally purchased. And ask yourself this. It, did, it, did, it, did it feel good at the time? Yes, it did. But, but they quickly wear away. <laughs> Even if you go out and you buy a new car, it's kind of cool for a couple months, and then it just becomes transportation. No matter how nice, come on, you know it's the truth. Yeah, it becomes a car payment. That's right. And it's nice. It's comfortable. We're glad we have it, but we kind of take it for granted. We just get in, we start it up, and we just, it's going to get us there, and we don't think about it. And, but you know, so that's what possessions are. It's like chasing a mirage. You never catch it. You never get it. And so that's what it's like. But when you devote your life to the kingdom of God, when you, whenever you change your whole mindset, that, it's, that, that the kingdom of God, God has placed you here not to, he will bless you. But your mindset has to be, I am not necessarily seeking the blessings. I'm seeking God to use me. I'm wanting to be um, not like the Dead Sea that doesn't have an outlet, but I'm wanting to be a giver. I'm wanting to do more things for God than I've ever done before. And so God may even lead you to a place where you are paying 10% and you're paying another 5 or 10% um, back to the kingdom of God. In closing, as we stand, there was a man in history who was very poor. I don't know if we have a piano player tonight. If we do, great. If not, it's okay. And... Um, he, he decided that he wanted to open up a little store. He wasn't really very good with his money, to be honest. And, and, but he made, a, he made an attempt to try to be good. He had been bankrupt a few times already, had a few failed business endeavors. And this, this, this particular gentleman was, had a revelatory experience with God and really just gave his heart to God. This was many, many years ago. And, and he heard this teaching on tithes, that if you pay your tithes, then God will bless you. And he told the Lord and he told his pastor, he said, everything that I make, I'm, I'm going to try this with God. I'm going to give 90% and I'm going to live off the 10%. And he opened that little department store and God blessed it. And that department store today is known as J.C. Penny. And the man was James Cash Penny. God said, you try me and just see. I, I tell you right now that there are some of you, as I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Every head bowed, every eye closed. There are some of you right now, as I am teaching this, you have thought there is no way I can pay my tithes. I am not here to condemn you. I'm here to give you the opportunity right now to come to the altars and say, Lord, everything that I have, I am giving it all 
over to you. And this last area of discipleship, it may not be the last area, there's never a last area of discipleship, but this is the, like the next area of discipleship for some of us here tonight. If, if you will just devote that to God and you will open up your heart and you will devote this, you will realize that what God has to give you back is so much greater than what you're withholding from Him. Amen. Amen. Would you come right now? Would you, would you just find a place to talk to God? In the name of Jesus. Right now, Lord, we want to devote this to you, God. It's not our own. We're bought with a price. You gave your all at Calvary. You gave everything that you have at Calvary. All of your life's blood was spilled out on the ground that day. This area, God, is so close to many of our hearts, God, but help us to realize that it really is a heart issue, Lord. In Jesus' name.